You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. He had a new heart. Remember the heart transplant? He had been regenerated. He had rejoiced. He received Jesus. You know, like Zacchaeus, when we receive salvation, our lives are changed forever. And we also become new creatures. We become a new creation. You know the scripture I'm going to, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 19. The Apostle Paul talking to the church at Corinth. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. There's something that happens at salvation that we don't always see at first. God has begun a process of sanctification and transforming us to be more like Jesus. In today's message, Pastor Dave will be sharing about what goes on in the heart of someone when they decide to believe and follow Jesus for the first time. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 16 as he begins his message, The Effects of Salvation. beginning in verse 29. Then he called for a light and ran in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them, and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. Well, there's a wonderful story of salvation and the effects of salvation in the Gospel of Luke in Luke 19. I'm sure you probably heard it before. In Luke 19, Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem, and he passes through a town called Jericho. There he encounters a man, a tax collector by the name of Zacchaeus. We're told that Zacchaeus was a rich man, but he wanted to see Jesus. In fact, the scripture says that he sought Jesus. Zacchaeus was a seeker. He wanted to look at Jesus. This is really interesting to me when I read this, because last week, if you remember correctly, we spoke about the prophet Isaiah declaring the way to the Lord in Isaiah 45, 22. He said, look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. We spoke about the bronze serpent in the wilderness Moses lifted up and that all Israel were to look at when they were bitten by poisonous snakes. If they looked at the bronze serpent, they would be healed. If they did not look at the bronze serpent, they would die. We said that Jesus said that he would be lifted up in John 3, 14 and 15. He said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus is the one who's been lifted up, but he was lifted up on a cross, a cross in our place to die. He is the one we look to, and Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. He wanted to look to Jesus. What happens to Zacchaeus changed his life, for in it he found salvation. 
when you look to Jesus, you find salvation. Because there is salvation in no other name. We talked about that at great length last week. Zacchaeus, who was short in stature, climbed a sycamore tree so he could get a better look at Jesus. And as Jesus passed by, he happened to look up at the tree and say, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. Scripture tells us that not only did Zacchaeus make haste, but he received the Lord, or Jesus, joyfully. Two words jump out here, received and joyfully. Anytime you receive Jesus, it's always accompanied by joy. When you receive Jesus, it's always accompanied by great joy. The crowd seeing Jesus and Zacchaeus together complained that Jesus had gone into the house of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stands up and he says to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. If I have taken anything from by false accusation, I restore fourfold. Jesus looked at Zacchaeus and said, Today salvation has come to this house because he, Zacchaeus, is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. You know, from Zacchaeus' words, we gather a couple things. Number one, he'd been guilty of defrauding people. Number two, he was remorseful over his past actions and he repented. And number three, he was committed to making restitution. From Jesus' words, we can see several things also. Number one, Zacchaeus was saved that day and his sin was forgiven. The evidence of the salvation was his public confession, but the effects of his salvation saw him relinquish his ill-gotten gains. So there were effects of his salvation. Salvation had an effect on him. It's interesting that even though Zacchaeus didn't know Jesus, Jesus knew who Zacchaeus was, and he called him by name. John tells us that Jesus knew men and knew what was in man in John 2, 24 and 25. Jesus knows what's in the heart of man. He knew Zacchaeus' heart. He knew Zacchaeus was seeking him. After salvation was experienced by Zacchaeus, we see the effects of his salvation. He makes restitution. He pays back all the money that he defrauded people. And he restores them fourfold. Why? Because Zacchaeus is a changed man. Salvation had changed his life. Zacchaeus was a new creation. He had a new heart. Remember the heart transplant? He had been regenerated. He had rejoiced. He received Jesus. You know, like Zacchaeus, when we receive salvation, our lives are changed forever. And we also become new creatures. We become a new creation. You know the scripture I'm going to, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 19. The Apostle Paul talking to the church at Corinth. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. Now all things of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation, that is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. These are pretty positive statements. They're pretty direct statements when Paul's making here. If you look at the first epistle that was written by the apostle John, many times he says a person can say something but yet their life isn't in harmony with what they're saying. It's possible for a man to make glorious professions of faith, but their life tells us a different story. As you go through this first epistle of John, you'll find that John says over and over, if a man, if a man says, if a man says. One of my favorite is if a man says he abides in him, Christ, then he ought to walk. He ought to walk even as Christ walked. 
If you're abiding in Christ, John says, there's going to be some evidence. This is the effect of salvation. If you're abiding in Christ, you're walking after the flesh. John clearly says, you're a liar. Not only are you a liar, but you're deluded and you're living in deception. Self-deception, John says. And so all the way through his epistle, John gives us these little things that men profess, but saying, hey, you're only fooling yourself. You're deceiving yourself. It isn't what you profess. It's who you profess. And it's, it isn't what you do. It's who is in you. Greater as he is in you than he who is in the world. It says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. And if the old things haven't passed away, then where's the proof that Christ is in you? We have to look at that. We have to examine our heart. Only you can examine your heart. I can't examine it for you. I'm not a fruit inspector. I can't examine your heart. If your profession is empty and false, it's deceptive. And the tragedy is you're the one being deceived. What effect does salvation have on your life? Oh, well, I pray. That's good. Isaiah said that God's hand is not short, that he cannot save. Neither is his ear heavy, that he cannot hear. But your sins have separated you from God. And if you're regarding iniquity in your heart, the Lord doesn't even hear you. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. I liken this to having a cell phone. You have a cell phone and you make a call and you happen to me and you're talking to you and I'm talking to my lovely wife and I'm just about ready to tell her how lovely she is and how great she is and how wonderful she is and I'm just ready, about ready to gush all over and the line gets dropped. There's a dead connection. And I continue to go on and on and on and on and on and she never hears me. Well, you're praying to God with his iniquity in your heart. Maybe that's happening and God's going, what's the one prayer God wants you to hear or wants you to say? I confess. I confess to you my sin. I ask forgiveness for my sin. If you're regarding sin in your heart, the connection with God is broken. Your prayer is meaningless unless it's a prayer of confession and for asking for forgiveness. And if not, then it's deceptive and you're being deceived. But we have a tendency to rest on the fact, well, I pray, you know, and I'm doing what I should. I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do, and I know that. But you know what? I still pray. We're deceiving ourselves. Because it's a changed life that makes the difference. Remember Ephesians, putting off the old man, putting on the new man in Christ? It's a new life manifested by the fact that the old things have passed away. You cannot continue to live after the flesh and walk after the flesh. The life of the flesh and the life of the spirit are mutually exclusive. Galatians 6, verses 7 and 8, Be not deceived, God's not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that he shall reap. And if you sow to the flesh... Of the flesh you're going to reap. And if you sow the spirit, of the spirit you will reap. But the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Paul gives us this horrible list, this works of the flesh, which unfortunately we are all too familiar with. Strife, envy, deceit, murders, lies, fornication, and adultery. And he says, let no man think that if he's doing these things, he's going to inherit the kingdom of heaven. How much time do you spend living after the spirit? How much time do you spend living after the flesh? Are you a new creature? Have old things passed away? Are all things now new? What are the effects of salvation on your life? Can we see these effects in your life? But as we study today in our scriptures, I see the effects of salvation on the Philippian jailer. I see the effects of salvation, and they're very, very similar to the story of Zacchaeus. 
I see four things that the Philippian jailer does in his new life that I can see the effects of salvation. Number one, I see regeneration. Number two, I see restoration. Number three, I see these twins, restitution and reparation. And then finally, I see rejoicing. So as we study today, I want to look at these four things and see what they mean in the jailer's life. Let's review, if we will. Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke went to Macedonia following Paul's vision from the Holy Spirit. Upon arriving in Philippi, they went to the river where the women were meeting. They were meeting there for prayer because there wasn't a synagogue because Philippi didn't have enough male Jewish men to warrant one. So they were meeting it here. They meet Lydia, the seller of purple. God opens her heart and she receives salvation through Jesus Christ. They're feeling pretty confident. They're pretty feeling sure of themselves. So the next day, they go out again. This time they come across a slave girl. She's possessed by a spirit of divination. They end up casting out the spirit and getting into trouble because the girl made much profit for her owners when she told fortune under the spirit. The owners of the girl pull these men, Paul, Silas, and everybody, they take them before the magistrates, and the thing is that only Paul and Silas go before them because they're Jewish. They leave Timothy and Luke out because of their Gentile background. The magistrates have a makeshift trial. Paul and Silas are found guilty, and they're sentenced to be beaten with rods. They're sentenced to prison. And when they're in prison, this jailer comes, and to make matters worse, he puts their feet and their legs in stocks. At midnight, Paul and Silas are singing hymns and praising God, and they're praying out loud. All of a sudden, there's this huge earthquake. The building shakes, walls fall down, doors fly open, and the chains that are chaining them fly off. It's amazing. It's truly a miracle that God does here. The jailer sees this happening, and he immediately wants to kill himself because the prisoners are gone, and he's facing their punishment. And Paul yells these beautiful words to the man in Acts 16, 28. Do yourself no harm. We are all here. Wow. So let's begin today's study as we look at verses 29 and 30. Then he, the jailer, called for a light and ran in and fell down, trembling before Paul and Silas. And when he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. So the first thing I see here is regeneration. Regeneration is the act of producing a new. And in our theology, we believe that the regeneration is a new birth of, by grace of God. That change, that the will of the natural enmity that man has towards God and his law are subdued. Regeneration. The principle of supreme love to God and his law, the holy affections are implanted in our heart. The heart transplant we've been talking about takes place. We're regenerated by the Spirit. Paul writes about this experience in Titus, in Titus 3, verses 3 to 7. He says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior towards man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we've done, but by according to his mercy he saved us, through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Regeneration is being born again by the Holy Spirit. And this happens when I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, when I believe in his name. 
That's where I find new life, and that's where I find my hope. I'm saved. I've been saved by God's work of the Holy Spirit in my life. The washing and cleansing of my sin and my past, they're gone forever. We sang about the glorious day. It's a glorious feeling to know that your sins are forgiven. It's a glorious feeling to know that you're free in Christ now, and your past is gone. Let's face it, there's one thing we all have is a past. The gospel is great because no matter how bad that past is, all can be forgiven and all can be washed away. And that's good news. I don't care what horrible, ugly things that have existed in your life, the precious blood of Jesus Christ washes it away. It doesn't just cover it. It washes it away. The psalmist said, as far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed my transgressions from me. I'm so glad he didn't say as far as the south is from the north. Because if you go north, you can get south. But if you go east, you'll always be going east. It never ends. The jailer was saved when he called upon Jesus Christ. He was born again and regeneration took place. We have to have a side note here, so I'll go over here. When Paul told the Philippian jailer that he and his household would be saved, he did not mean that the confession of the jailer would save his whole household. Don't make that mistake by thinking that because you accept Christ in your life, your whole household will be saved according to this scripture. That's a misapplication. Everyone must make a profession of faith in Jesus Christ, and then they will be saved. The chances are better if you get saved because then you can witness and shine the light of Jesus Christ into their lives. But that doesn't mean they can be saved by proxy. It doesn't happen that way. I'm sorry. There's no scriptural basis for that. All must call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. So we see this regeneration took place in the jailer's life. The next thing I see is restoration. Let's look at verse 32. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. This is another effect of salvation, I see. Restoration is a renewal. It's a revival. It's the establishment of friendship between enemies. The establishment of a friendship between enemies. It's the restoration like a peace after a war. Look at Romans 5, verse 1. Paul writes, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope and the glory of God. The jailer has made peace with God through his faith in Jesus Christ. He's been restored. He and God are no longer enemies. He and God are no longer at enmity with one another. Restoration has taken place. And now we see the jailer listening to the word of God being taught in his household. This Roman centurion or, or whatever he was, the jailer, a Roman surely, is listening to the word of God being taught in his household, not only in his household, but by a Jew. If that's not restoration, I don't know what is. This Bible study is taking place in their house. His entire family is now attending with them. He made peace with his one-time enemy. One minute, he was putting Paul in the stocks. He was his tormentor. The next minute, he's his disciple, allowing Paul to teach him about Jesus Christ. There's a peace that has been made. This restoration has taken place. Jesus is our peace. And through his spirit, he gives us new understanding. Remember these words? For he, Jesus himself, is our peace 
who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of the commandments contained in ordinance, so as to create himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. So we have regeneration. We certainly have restoration. And now we have restitution and reparation. Restitution and reparation go together. They're like twins here. Look at verse 33. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And immediately he and all his family were baptized. Restitution is the act of making good or giving an equivalent for any loss, damage, or injury. The jailer here is now dressing the wounds of Paul and Silas. He's dressing their wounds. He's trying to make restitution. It's very, very much like Zacchaeus wanting to give back the money that he defrauded people from. This same concept holds true in Christianity today. When we know Christ, we have a genuine repentance, and that leads a desire to redress wrongs, to make right wrongs that were done in the past. When someone becomes a Christian, they have this desire that is born deep inside of a conviction. They want to do good, and they want to make right whatever is possible. And the idea here, whenever possible, is very important because there are some crimes and sins which were committed that there is no adequate restitution. And in such cases, a Christian should make some form of restitution that demonstrates repentance, but at the same time, we don't have to feel guilty about our inability to make full restitution. Restitution is a result of our salvation, not a prerequisite to. Restitution is a result of our salvation, not a prerequisite to salvation. If you have received forgiveness of your sins through Jesus Christ, all of your sins are forgiven, whether or not you've made restitution. Your sins are forgiven. They are washed away. The next thing I see is reparation in verse 34a. Now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them. Reparation is an act of repairing. It's restoration to soundness or good taste. The jailer now feeds the men. He's giving their bodies a much-seated substance. He's trying to, to give them the strength from their wounds. He's trying to bring them back to health. He's trying to repair them. My favorite, Warren Wiersbe, says this about this whole situation. It is touching to see this new change of attitude that the jailer has as he washed the wounds of these two prisoners who are now his brothers in Christ. One of the true evidences of true repentance and an effect of salvation is a loving desire to make restitution and reparation wherever we have hurt others. We should not only wash the feet of others, that Jesus says in, in John 13, but we should also cleanse the wounds that we might have given others. So we have regeneration, we have restoration, we have restitution and reparation, and finally I see rejoicing. He says, and he rejoiced having believed in God with all his household. Salvation brings rejoicing. You are assured. You've been listening to A Sure Hope Radio with Pastor Dave. Pastor Dave comes to us from Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. 
In today's message, Pastor Dave is in the book of Acts. In this book, you'll hear about many people who had been eyewitnesses of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. They were now going to tell others about Jesus, and many were coming to a saving faith. If these disciples were just following some flash-in-the-pan rabbi, they wouldn't have been so eager to risk their lives for the sake of telling about this good news. No, it's because they saw it lived out, and they saw the greatest miracle of all happen, Jesus dying and then rising again. What an incredible time to live. So when you're facing opposition and persecution for following Jesus, remember that these disciples did too, and they were willing to face the ramifications for such faith. If you're wrestling with what this means to have a saving faith, we'd love to seek God in prayer with and for you. You can email us your requests at info at capewatchradio.com. If you'd rather call, we can chat with you on the phone too. Our number is 609-884-5821. That phone number once more is 609-884-5821. Anything else you'd like to know about can be found on our website, assurehoperadio.com. We've come to the end of our time together for today, but we'll be back next time as Pastor Dave shares some more great things from the Bible here on Assure Hope.